Well, we are looking at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to be reading from verses 10 through 21. So you can find this on page 1130 in the Bibles in the chairs, or you can find it in your own, your own Bibles. Four, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that, the, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was, recon that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let us go to God in prayer. Oh, Father, the gospel is wonderful. The good news of salvation, your son Jesus Christ, gives life. Father, we pray that you will guide us in this time. Give us wisdom and understanding. Give us discernment to know your truth and to be transformed with a new heart and mind through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's wonderful name, as we continue to look at what it is to be a healthy church, we've been looking at these different characteristics. A healthy church is a church that believes in the authority of God's Word, that lifts the Scripture up above everything, that seeks the truth that God teaches, that He has breathed through the inspired, 
inerrant Word of God. That all is sufficient in God's Word to lead us in truth and life and salvation. So that's the foundation that we live ourselves to be a church to give glory to God. We believe that His Word is the authority. To be a church that seeks after God is also a church that worships Him, that is in prayer, that seeks to reach out to the lost. And as we are right now, we are continued in the characteristic, a church that is seeking after God in obedience, that is seeking to be healthy and growing, is a church that does evangelism. Is a church that prays for, that sacrifices for, and that seeks to save the lost. The lost. You, if you are in Jesus Christ... You've been rescued. You've been saved. You've been brought to life. Shout it from the rooftops. Shout it from the mountaintops. Run up and down the highways and byways proclaiming that you've been saved by a gracious and loving God. So then we are given this ministry of reconciliation where we plead, where we implore, where we pour ourselves out in the lives of others, be reconciled. There is a way that you can be saved. There is a way you can be forgiven. There is a way you can have life and joy and peace that passes all understanding. Jesus told His disciples that He gives a different peace than what the world gives. The peace that the world gives is a very conditional, short-term, non-eternal peace. The peace that the world tries to give just furthers us in sin and our fleshy desires and these things that will all perish. But Jesus Christ gives a peace that enables us to face death with joy and thanksgiving. The peace that Jesus Christ gives enables us to face hardship, disease, persecution, and turmoil with joy and thanksgiving. Because the peace that Jesus Christ gives is an eternal peace, is a peace from the God who made us, is a peace from the God who saves us, is a peace of the God of eternity that we will see when Jesus Christ returns, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, the Prince of Peace. So at the heart of doing evangelism, at the heart of sharing the gospel, is lifting up this truth that Jesus Christ has made peace between us and a holy God beyond our comprehension, beyond our comprehension. This is a peace that we could not make in ourselves because we, in our sin, continue to make war with and continue to rebel against God. Yet Jesus Christ has reconciled. He has made peace. He has made a way where we, still in our state of rebellion and sin and opposition, is made right through the righteousness of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
So this passage of Scripture of 2 Corinthians 5 is vital for each and every one of us who are in Jesus Christ to understand the calling and sending out, to understand the role that we have as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, as those who are sent out with a message of reconciliation, a message of peace. So this is a very key passage of Scripture that focuses in on what it is to do evangelism in Jesus Christ. As we look at these verses from verses 10 through 21, I love how it's set up. You have statements of truth, and then you have the therefores. So you have a statement, a proposition. You have this is the truth. This is an objective reality. This is the foundation that your life is based on in Jesus Christ. Therefore, know the truth, and the truth sets you free to live. Therefore. So this is how this is set up. And if you look at verses 10 through 21, you have four therefores. Oh, that's a lot of therefores. So this is a good passage. And all it's centered around the peace and reconciliation we have in Jesus Christ based on his grace. Now remember in Scripture, when you see a therefore, when you see this command, when you see this do this, we don't live lives of therefore thinking that us being obedient brings our salvation. Remember, we, we're saved by grace. If you're trying to save yourself through works, well, let's assess how your works are. The scripture in Isaiah lifts up your works, lifts up my works, lifts up our works, and says all our righteousness is like filthy rags. So you can't therefore your way into heaven. It ain't going to happen. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is Jesus Christ has accomplished what we can't. He, in his perfect state, is the perfect sacrifice on the cross. So in salvation in him, we are freed by God's grace and mercy to therefore. So we're going to see these four therefores. We see this in verse 11, verse 16 verse 17, and verse 20. In the scriptures, it's, this is the understanding of scripture. You know the truth. God reveals the truth through his word, and that transforms our hearts and minds to live for his glory. So as we go into this passage, I start in verse 10, because I think verse 10 and verse 21 are the frames of this section of scripture. And within it, it, it illustrates and lifts up Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at the first statement of truth and the first therefore. So we see that in verses 10 and 11. And in your bulletins on the back, you have uh, sermon notes outline that gives you these statements laid out and gives you some of the scriptures we're going to be touching on as we go through this passage of scripture. So the first statement is this in verse 10. So this is the first statement of truth that God's revealing of himself that brings about the first therefore. So the statement is this. It's in verse 10. For we, 
The we is all of us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So that's the reality. So the Apostle Paul lays out that reality of a judgment seat where all of us are brought before God and the list is displayed of every word we have ever said, every thought we have ever thought, every action we have ever committed, everything we have ever done. And it's placed up against the, the standard. It's placed up against the plumb line. It's placed up against the ruler. It's placed up against Jesus Christ. And when you realize that reality, you can see the therefore. The therefore that comes out of that is this, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This is it. We are motivating knowing God in His holiness, in His justice, in His glory. And, and we are motivated. We are persuaded. We cry out. That's at the heart of this, this, this persuading, this interceding, knowing the fear of the Lord. The Apostle Paul is drawing upon this image, and we see this lifted up in Revelation 20. So this is what he's describing here in verse 10. We see the fulfillment in Revelation 20. So, so if you want to go there, I'll take you to Revelation 20, verse 10. I'm going to be reading a little longer section of Scripture so you can follow along here. This is in Revelation. We see God displaying the scene that the Apostle Paul is speaking about here in 2 Corinthians 5. So here the Apostle Paul is prophesying. He's, he's displaying this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in Revelation 20, where John is taken up and revealed, we see where he is shown this very scene that's going to take place. So Revelation 20, starting at verse 10. And the devil, who had, been, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne. So here's the judgment seat. A great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. When the Creator and all His glory is displayed, all the creation just peels back before Him. And no place was found for them. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That book of life, we see it described elsewhere as the book of the Lamb who was slain. This is a book of those who are saved. This is a book of those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have faith in Jesus Christ. This is a book of God's elect, those to whom God has chosen and made alive through His grace and mercy. These are the ones who God keeps and preserves through the power of His Holy Spirit. These are the ones to whom Jesus died on the cross for to atone them of their sins, to be the sacrifice in their place. These are the ones to whom God takes your name before the creation of the world, before you have been born, before you have done good and evil. And in His love and His grace and His sovereignty, He takes your name and He places it in the book of life, the book of the Lamb who was slain, His perfect one slain for the people whose names are in this book. So that if you are in Jesus Christ, when you stand before this throne and everything is displayed of all that you have said, thought, and done, there are two options. Either you receive the just judgment of God and you are thrown into the lake of fire or because you are in Jesus Christ, because you believe in Him, because you know the love and mercy and grace of God, that His wrath was poured out on Him on the cross, that your sins were placed on Him on the cross, that you stand before God And when all that you have said and thought and done has been laid out, where rather than the just judgment that we deserve and we are cast in, no, God looks at us and He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. The righteousness of the perfect one. And because of that, rather than us being sent into the eternal conscious torment of judgment that we deserve, God comes to us and says, well done, good and faithful. And you'd be, you'd be tempted to say, well, that's, that's not me, that's not me. But remember, He sees you and He sees you, but He sees His Son, Jesus Christ, who on your behalf went to the cross who took the curse. And it's because of His righteousness we can stand before the throne. So at the heart of this section of Scripture, these therefores that compel us to do evangelism, that compel us to speak the gospel to our friends and loved ones, to our neighbors, to the people we don't like and can't stand, it doesn't matter. If they have breath in their lungs, you have one purpose, which is to lift up the peace that has been 
made in Jesus Christ. One purpose. One purpose. And the Apostle Paul is showing us that this one purpose of this message of reconciliation is to be at the heart of every relationship that we have. Every encounter we have with another human being. And that that overrides whether that person is our friend or our enemy. That that overrides whether they are our boss or they are under us in a position of authority. It overrides everything. Any barrier, any wall, any obstacle of this world that's placed between us and another person, this reality is over. And we have to understand that. That is what's being lifted up here. And the the Apostle Paul begins with this statement of the clear judgment that is coming. And knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, we persuade others. This motivates us. It makes no sense. If we have been rescued, if we have been dragged out of a burning fire, out of a building that is about to collapse, and we have been saved, we were unconscious, and we were drugged out and wakened up, and we are out there, and we look up, and we still see people living their regular lives in the rooms, about to be consumed, do you not cry out? Do you not do everything you can? If even possible, do you not run back in yourself to get whoever you can to pull out? We persuade others knowing the eternal life and death reality of being reconciled in Jesus Christ. So we see the therefore Therefore, knowing the fear, this fear is this holy reverence of a holy, just, and good God. Knowing who God is, we persuade others in everything we do. So that's the first truth, and then therefore. When verse 14, we see, we see the next one. We see the first one is based on this understanding of God and His holiness and reverence, and we are persuaded by fear of this holy God. Well, we see the second statement of truth, and then two therefores come out of it, is the love of Christ. So we see where the fear of a holy God motivates us to persuade, and here we see in verse 14, the love of Jesus Christ is the motivator that guides us and empowers us, the Holy Spirit, to be about reconciliation. So in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. It's the death of Jesus Christ. What's the verse that's lifted up in most football games and sporting events or big events? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, John 3.16, so that whoever should believe in Him should not 
perish, but have eternal life. God is a holy God. God is a God of justice. And God is a God of love. Love. He's a reconciling God. He's a God who brings peace by giving His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. His only begotten Son to go on the cross to take our sin, to bear His wrath, that His Son would be crushed for our transgressions. That is love. That is love beyond what we can comprehend. It's beyond that God would give what is most precious to Him so that we could be also made His children through His Son, Jesus Christ. That sin could be taken care of. That death could be defeated. And we could be reconciled. That that peace could happen. So we see the second truth that's lifted up here that motivates us is the love of Christ. If you're looking for a love that will never fail you, if you're looking for a 1 Corinthians 13 love, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, oh, that's a good chapter. That's a good chapter. That was read at my marriage, 1 Corinthians 13. Anyone have that spoken at your marriage or, you know, some event? 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, what a passage. What a passage. That's being read out, and I'm like, ooh, that's the standard I'm, I'm held to? I'm in trouble. I need help. Lord, help me to love in that way. Well, if you're looking for a love that completely fulfills 1 Corinthians 13, you're not going to find it in your spouse. Pray for them. Pray that you live it out more and more. But let me warn you now, they're going to fail you at one point. But guess what? There is someone who will never fail 1 Corinthians 13, and that is Jesus Christ. That is the Heavenly Father who would so give His Son as the Holy Spirit that would make us alive. So this is this love of Christ that compels us when we understand the grace of God and His mercy to send His Son. So this truth of the love of Christ in verse 14 gives us the therefore in verse 16 and the therefore in verse 17. So here's our next two therefores. So in verse 16, the next therefore is this. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. According to the flesh. So any... Any forms of bias, anything that we profile another person, in any way if we think of another person less because of any worldly standards or worldly systems of any social, economic, or political, any, anything, any barrier, any obstacle, if we just look at someone and assess them based on that? No more. Not in Jesus Christ. Remember in Jesus Christ, there is no longer Jew, Gentile, free, slave, 
Greek, Scythian, barbarian, none, none of these barriers, none of these obstacles mean anything. Once you know the love of Jesus Christ, then when you look at another person, that person, regardless of age, social, political, economic ability, regardless of race, language, origin, if that person is in Jesus Christ, you look at them and you see a brother or a sister more dear to you than anyone else. That's it. That is who that person is. And if you see someone, regardless of anything, who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, then that is someone that you are willing to die for, that they would come to salvation. So you have really one option with everyone you encounter. Either it is another believer in Christ that you're willing to die for, that they would grow up into Christ, or they're an unbeliever that you're willing to die for, that they would come to Jesus Christ. So there you go. That actually dictates every relationship you have. The person you like, the person you can't stand. This is the new reality. This is the reality we have of them in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here. You don't regard them according to the flesh no more. You regard them according to the reality of Jesus Christ. And that's it. Because we once regarded Christ in a fleshy human way. But if you're in Jesus Christ, you don't regard him like that anymore. He's your Lord of Lords, your King of Kings, your friend, your Savior, the one who died for you. And then this is a part of the next therefore. So this is our third therefore. This is the second one to come out of the love of Christ. This is verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is very vital. Because we walk alongside those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is where it doesn't matter how long a list of sins and transgressions they have committed. If they are in Jesus Christ, they are new. So with that, we, we encourage them and we hold them accountable. And we are to be encouraged and held accountable because we are new. This is throughout the scriptures. It says, if you are in Christ, live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. So this is the new reality. This is this therefore. This is how we see other people. And then the last statement of truth and the fourth and last therefore, this, we see this in verses 18 through 21. It's important. We're given this mission to be reconcilers, but ultimately only God can save us. Only God can save us. So he is the one who does the work of reconciliation. We see this in verses 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. God is the one doing. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting us the message 
of reconciliation. How does God do this? How can a just and holy God come to sinners and say, you are my child, rather than to say, you are eternally condemned? How can God do that? This is the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the ages that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And it is in verse 21. Here's another one of these verses. If you just have a few moments with someone or an entire lifetime, here's another one of these verses. You could just take this one verse. You can memorize this or have it written down, have it on a scrap of paper in your pocket, have it marked in your, your Bible. People even have these little phone computers I've heard of where you can even have scriptures on those. You could have it on there linked in some way. That's all beyond me. But you can have that there. But here's the verse. Here's the verse. Here's another one of these one verse evangelism. Here it is. It's verse 21. For our sake, so here's the whole gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that's the gospel. That's how God does reconciliation. He sends His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. He was perfect. And He makes Him to be sin. He takes the sin that we have committed in thought, word, and action and places that on His Son, Jesus Christ. So that those who believe in Him would receive His righteousness. That's what verse 21 says. So if we believe that truth, we understand that, then verse 20, then we are ambassadors for Christ. We implore you. We plead with you. We cry out to you. We give our time and energy and effort and sacrifice so that you may come to Jesus Christ and be reconciled. That becomes the heart of everything we do. That becomes the prayer and heart of our work, of our ministry, of our family, of our time, at our time at Costco, at our time through the streets, wherever we are, this is to be the prayerful focus, seeking opportunity to be about this work of reconciliation. And what's amazing is God gives us opportunities throughout the day, every day. Whether it be in prayer, whether it be one-on-one, whether it be in a group situation where we can be a part of this amazing work of reconciliation. Colossians 1 sums this up also. Colossians 1, starting at verse 19. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
Galatians 3.13 says it again. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So we see at the heart of this message of evangelism, the heart of this passage of Scripture of 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 21, we see these realities that are to permeate our evangelism and our ministry of reconciliation. We are to display before people that God is a holy, just God and that there is a judgment. So the fear of God persuades us to call out to people that there is a way of peace and forgiveness. We see the love of Christ controls us to look at people. And when we see people, to see the cross that Jesus Christ died on and to see the cross that he calls us to pick up and follow him. When you see another person, you see the cross first and foremost. That's what drives us in this ministry of reconciliation. And when we realize that Jesus was so willing to take our sin and the wrath of God so that we could receive his righteousness, we are sent out as ambassadors. This is good news. Not everyone will accept it as good news. Not everyone will. But only God is the one who brings life and salvation. We keep giving the message of peace and rec reconciliation and love regardless of the response, hoping and praying that as long there is breath in their lungs, as long as they are alive, that they might, by God's grace and mercy, go from saying no to Jesus Christ to saying, Jesus, you are my everything. That's our hope. That's our prayer. So that's my encouragement for us this coming week, this week that's before us. I encourage you to go back, read 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 21. Take this outline on the back of your bulletin. Just tear this side off if it would fit better. Put it in your Bible where 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 21 is. Take time this week to read the other scripture passages that fill out those themes. Just, just pray through and meditate on this. And where you go through that and you hit an area, I encourage you to write names of people on the side there. So as you pray through this passage of scripture, you could be praying, Oh Lord, Help my brother or my sister or my uncle or aunt or my friend or coworker. Help them to know the love of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, reconcile them with you. Father, give us wisdom and what to say that you may use our words and actions to draw them to Christ. So use this as a prayer and as a preparation for the ministry of reconciliation. Everything we do is for life for eternal life in Jesus Christ, to give him all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. So let us pray. Father, we thank you 
We thank you that you were so, so willing and so loving to send your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for this coming week that you will just reveal to us more and more this ministry of reconciliation that you've given us. Give us words to say. Guide us in our prayers. We pray that we lift up the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would receive all glory and all honor and all praise. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.